This is Holden Karnofsky doing an amateur read-through of my blog post, Was Life Better in Foraging slash Hunter-Gatherer Times? For the last 200 years or so, life has been getting better for the average human in the world. And I link. What about for the 300,000 or more years before that? In order to answer this, one of the hardest things we need to do is get some sense of pre-agriculture quality of life. Agriculture is estimated to have started drastically changing lifestyles and leading to what we tend to think of as civilization around 10,000 BC. Agriculture roughly means living off of domesticated plants and livestock, which allows a large population to live in one area indefinitely rather than needing to move as it runs low on resources. So most years of human history were pre-agriculture and thus pre-civilization. The terms forager and hunter-gatherer are commonly used to refer to societies that came before or simply never took up agriculture. Now this appears to be a topic where there is a lot of room for controversy and confusion. Many people seem to endorse a what I call a pre-agriculture Eden hypothesis. That is, that the pre-agriculture world was a sort of paradise, or at least better than life in rich countries today. There are logical reasons why that might be the case. Below, I'll lay some of those out and give some quotes from Wikipedia that convey the pre-agriculture Eden vibe. But there's also a case to be made that the world before agriculture was a world of starvation, disease, and violence, that the human story is one of continuous, consistent, beneficial progress, and that the pre-agriculture world was the lowest, because the earliest point on it. My tentative position is that neither of these is quite right. I think the pre-agriculture world was noticeably worse than today's world, at least in developed countries, and at least as far as the evidence we have can tell us, but probably some amount better than the world that immediately followed agriculture. This post will focus on the first of these, the comparison between the pre-agriculture world and today's world, that is, whether the pre-agriculture Eden hypothesis is right. I'll argue that today's best evidence suggests that today's developed world has significantly better quality of life than the pre-agriculture world. By doing so, I'll also lay the groundwork for a future post about what happened to quality of life in between the pre-agriculture world and today. Below, I'll give more detail on the basic pre-agriculture Eden hypothesis, and then I'll go through each of the dimensions on which I tried to compare pre-agriculture and current quality of life. These are summarized by the table below which uses the same structure as for a previous post where I explained it. So now I have a table, and it's just going to be a bunch of different aspects of quality of life and what we know about how the pre-agriculture world compares to today. So poverty, I mostly assessed via hunger and health. So I'll get to those. Hunger, so pre-agriculture height looks very low by today's standards, and that suggests malnutrition. For health, pre-agriculture infant and child mortality look extremely high by today's standards. That's 20% or more of children dying before they reach age 1, 35% or more of people dying before they reach age 10, and also post-childhood life expectancy also looks a lot worse than today's. Then for violence, pre-agriculture deaths from violence look more common compared to today's developed world. Then there's mental health. That's unknown. There are some claims floating around about strong mental health for hunter-gatherers slash foragers, but I haven't seen anything that looks like solid evidence about this. And similar claims about gender relations don't seem to hold up to scrutiny, as I've covered previously. Then we have substance abuse and addiction, and I think that's presumably not an issue pre-agriculture, although this isn't 100% clear, so that would be something worse about today. Then we have discrimination. It's hard to compare, but... As I wrote before, pre-agriculture gender relations do seem bad. 
Then we have treatment of children. That's unknown. We have a bunch of unknowns now. So um, education and literacy. Literacy is higher in today's world, but it's not clear whether that matters for quality of life. And then treatment of children, time usage, leisure time, self-assessed well-being, friendship and community, freedom, romantic relationship quality, job satisfaction, meaning and fulfillment. These are all just unknown. We don't know how to compare these for pre-agriculture and today. Next section, the pre-agriculture Eden hypothesis. So just to be clear, that was a summary. That was a table summary of the post, and now I'll be going into more detail. The pre-agriculture Eden hypothesis. Wikipedia's entry for hunter-gatherer gives a pre-agriculture Eden vibe. I give the quote in a footnote. It specifically claims that, first, hunter-gatherers are not poor, or at least they are mostly well-fed rather than starving, and have more leisure time than most people today. It also claims that hunter-gatherers tend to have an egalitarian social ethos without permanent leaders, and it claims that hunter-gatherers have egalitarian gender relations specifically, with women roughly as influential and powerful as men. In addition, aside from Wikipedia, I've seen it claimed that coronary heart disease, obesity, and a number of other diseases are rare or virtually absent in hunter-gatherers and other non-westernized populations. This is usually given as an argument that hunter-gatherers have excellent diets that we should emulate. And I've seen more occasional, and as far as I can tell, very thinly cited claims that hunter-gatherers seem to possess exceptional mental health, or that depression is a disease of modernity. Now, why might all this be? The basic idea would be that, for most of human history, humans lived in small nomadic bands, which I've discussed a bit in a previous post, constantly moving from one location to another, since any given location had limited food supply. People who did well in this setting reproduced, and people who did poorly did not, so we, the descendants of many people who did well, are well adapted to that nomadic lifestyle. But about 10,000 years ago, the Neolithic Revolution occurred, which that's agriculture, and that meant that instead of moving from place to place, we were able to consistently produce large amounts of food by staying put. This led to an explosion in population and a division of labor. Farmers could produce enough food for everyone, while other people specialized in other things, such as religion, politics, and war. Now, 10,000 years is not a ton of time from the standpoint of natural selection, so we're still adapted to the original environment and we're out of place in a more modern lifestyle. So that's the hypothesis. To put some of my cards on the table early, I think this reasoning could be right when it comes to some problems in the modern world, but I don't tend to believe it strongly by default. I don't think that adapting to an environment should be associated with thriving in it, especially not if thriving is supposed to include things like egalitarianism. In my view, adapting to an environment simply means becoming good at competing with others to reproduce in that environment. You could be fully adapted to your environment and still frequently be hungry, diseased, violent, hierarchical, sexist, and many other nasty things that we regularly see from animals in their natural environments. Additionally, there are many diverse lifestyles in the modern world, so any problem that seems to exist just about everywhere in modern civilization seems to me like it's most likely, by default, to be a risk of being human. And that said, I don't think either of these points is absolute. There are some ways in which nearly all modern societies differ from forager-slash-hunter-gatherer societies, and some of these might be causing novel problems that didn't exist in our ancestral environment. So I consider the pre-agriculture Eden hypothesis plausible enough to be interesting and important, and I'd like to know whether the facts support it. Next section, Evidence on Different Dimensions of Quality of Life. Below, I'll go through the best evidence I found on the dimensions of quality of life from the table above. For more complex topics, I mostly rely on previous, more detailed posts I've made. 
Otherwise, I tend to rely by default on a book called The Lifeways of Hunter-Gatherers, which I abbreviate as Lifeways, for reasons outlined in a supplemental page that I link to. Next section, Gender Relations. I discussed pre-agriculture gender relations at some length in a previous post. In brief, according to the best, most systematic available evidence from observing modern non-agricultural societies, pre-agriculture gender relations seem bad. For example, most societies seem to have no possibility for female leaders and limited or no female voice in intraband affairs. Now, there are a lot of claims to the contrary floating around, but, in my opinion, they don't have good evidence. For example, the Wikipedia entry for hunter-gatherer gives a strong impression that non-agricultural societies have strong gender equality, as does a Google search for hunter-gatherer gender relations. And again, non-agricultural, hunter-gatherer, forager, they all mean the same thing. But the sources cited seem very thin and often only tangentially related to the claims. Furthermore, they often seem to acknowledge significant inequality while seemingly trying to explain it away with strange statements like, quote, women know how to deal with physical aggression, unlike their Western counterparts, end quote. I think it's somewhat common to find rosy pictures of pre-agriculture society with thin and even contradictory citations. I think this is worth keeping in mind for the below sections, where I won't go into as much depth as I did for gender relations. Next section, violence. Pre-agriculture violence seems to be a hotly debated topic among anthropologists and archaeologists. The debates can get quite intricate and confusing, and I've spent more time than I hope to trying to understand both sides and where they disagree. My take as of now is that overall pre-agriculture violence was likely quite high by the standards of today's developed countries. This was complex enough that I plan to devote a future piece entirely to my research and reasoning on this topic. Here's the summary on nomadic forager societies, which are thought to be our best clue at what life was like in the very distant past versus today's world. So I have a table that has the society and then a number that represents the violent deaths per 100,000 people per year, higher is worse, and I'll go from high to low. There's the Mergen at 330, the Tiwi at 160, and the Jutuansi at 42, and those three are all these foraging societies that are thought to represent the distant past. And then I have high and low estimates for modern societies, depending on whether you want to include things like road injuries as violent deaths. And so the world overall would be 7.4 to 35.4, which is lower than any of the societies I named. The U.S. today is very similar, 6.2 or 35.2, depending which estimate you use. And then Western Europe today is just way less violent. It's like 0.3 to 6.6. Next section, hunger. I'm going to examine both hunger and health since both seem among the easiest ways to get at the question of whether pre-agriculture society had meaningfully higher poverty than today's in some sense. The most relevant seeming part of Lifeways is Table 3.5, which gives information on height, weight, and calorie consumption for eight forager societies. My main observation, and see the footnote for some other notes, is that height figures are strikingly low. Six of the seven listed averages for males are under 5.3, and six of the seven listed averages for females are under five foot flat. That's compared to 5.9 for U.S. males and 5.3.5 for U.S. females. Now, these height figures seem important because height is often used as an indicator for early childhood nutrition. And I give details in a footnote, and it seems to quite reliably increase with wealth at the aggregate societal level, as shown at Our World in Data's page on height. Height seems particularly helpful here because it is relatively easy to measure in a culture-agnostic way and can even be estimated from archaeological remains. 
What I've been able to find of other evidence, including archaeological evidence, about height suggests that the pre-agriculture period had average heights a bit taller than the figures I just gave, but still quite short by modern standards, although this evidence seems quite limited. Details in a footnote. My bottom line is the evidence suggests that pre-agriculture people had noticeably shorter heights than modern people, which suggests to me that their early childhood nutrition was worse. Now, as for Wikipedia's claim that contrary to common misconception, hunter-gatherers are mostly well-fed, well, those who have read my previous piece on Wikipedia and hunter-gatherers might be able to guess what's coming next. The citation for that statement appears to be an entire textbook. No page number is given. And I found a copy of the textbook online, although the link has broken since then. The vast majority of the textbook does not seem to be relevant to this topic at all. It's mostly about contemporary world. From skimming the table of contents, my best guess at the part being cited is on page 328. There's a quote that the notion that hunters and gatherers live on the brink of starvation is a popular misconception. Numerous studies have shown that hunters and gatherers are generally well-nourished. No citations are given. Next section, health. It seems to me that the best proxy for health, in terms of having very long-run data, is early in life mortality, before age 1, before age 5, before age 15. I found a number of collections of data on this and nothing else detailed regarding health for prehistoric or foraging populations, other than an analysis I linked to that I'll discuss in a bit that looks at full life expectancy. Now, Table 7-7 in LifeWays lists a number of figures for deaths before ages 1 and 15 based on modern foraging societies. Taking a crude average yields 20% mortality before the age of 1, and 35% mortality before the age of 15. Other sources I've consulted, including archaeological ones, give an even grimmer picture. In some cases, more than 50% mortality before the age of 15. Details in a footnote. These are enormous early-in-life mortality rates compared to the modern world, where no country has a before-age-15 mortality rate over 15%, and high-income countries appear to be universally below 1%. And I give a chart from Our World and Data showing that. Now, what about life expectancy after reaching age 10? What I found also suggests that pre-agriculture life expectancy was lower than today's at other ages too. It's not just a matter of early in life mortality. Gervin and Kaplan 2007 is the only paper I found that estimates pre-agriculture life expectancy as opposed to early in life mortality. And it observes that its modeled life expectancy by age curves are similar for modern foraging societies and for mid 18th century Sweden. I give the chart showing this. It also estimates that the estimate of prehistoric life expectancy is much worse at every age, although that data is questioned by Gervin and Kaplan because it's archaeological and there may be various issues with it. So I've compared foraging societies to mid-18th century Sweden, and that's important because, as noted at Our World and Data, it appears that life expectancy conditional on surviving to age 10 has improved greatly in Sweden and other countries since 1800. Before that point, it looks like it was mostly flat. You can also see some charts I linked to that show life expectancy at every age improving significantly in England and Wales since 1800. And I have a footnote with one more data source of the similar bottom line. So the bottom line there is that life expectancy looks to have been a lot worse pre-agriculture than today. I don't think violent deaths account for enough death to play a big role in this. And that's a uh, previous section has numbers on that. Uh, disease and other health factors seem most likely. Next section, what about diseases of affluence? Now, Wikipedia says diseases of affluence is a term sometimes given to selected diseases and other health conditions, which are commonly thought to be a result of increasing wealth in a society. Examples of diseases of affluence include mostly chronic non-communicable diseases and other physical health conditions 
for which personal lifestyles and societal conditions associated with economic development are believed to be an important risk factor, such as type 2 diabetes, asthma, coronary heart disease, cerebrovascular disease, peripheral vascular disease, obesity, hypertension, cancer, alcoholism, gout, and some types of allergy. That's the end of that quote. Now, I think it's plausible that the pre-agricultural world had less of these diseases of affluence than the modern world, especially obesity and conditions connected to obesity due to the seemingly much greater access to food. But I don't think it's slam dunk clear for some of these, such as cancer and heart disease. I've dug into primary sources a little bit, and not too surprisingly, data quality and rigor seems to often be low. In particular, I quite distrust claims like someone spent blank years in blank society and observed no cases of blank. Modern foraging societies seem to be quite small, and diagnosis could be far from straightforward. I also link to an observation on violent death rates that has a similar implication. Now, I haven't dug in heavily on this, although I may in the future. Because first, my initial scans have made it look like it would be a lot of work to follow often circuitous trails of references to often hard-to-find sources. And even if it did turn out that diseases of affluence were extremely rare pre-agriculture, this wouldn't tip me into thinking health was better overall pre-agriculture. When wondering whether undernutrition and diseases of poverty are worse than obesity and diseases of affluence, I think a good default is to prefer the condition with less premature death. Next section, mental health and well-being. I haven't found anything that looks like systematic data on pre-agriculture mental health or subjective well-being. There are some suggestive Google results, but as in other cases, these don't seem well-cited. For example, as of this writing, Google's answer box reads, Hunter-gatherers seem to possess exceptional mental health. This observation has led some researchers to believe that depression is a disease of modernity due to its increased prevalence among wealthier modern populations. But the source it cites is a not very systematic-looking source. I will not go into this topic more, because having gone through the above topics, I don't find the basic plausibility that reliable data would show better than modern mental health among foraging societies high enough to be worth a deep dive. Next section, leisure and equality. I haven't gone into depth on claims that pre-agriculture societies had more leisure and lower inequality compared to today's. Reasons I haven't. First, the claims seem disputed. For example, here are excerpts on both topics from the first chapter of Lifeways. So begin quote. How much do hunter-gatherers work and why? Re-examinations of Zhu Tuanzi and Australian work effort do not support Solon's claim of very low work hours. Some researchers found a major discrepancy between the Paraguayan Aceh's nearly 70-hour work week and the Jutuansi's reportedly 12- to 19-hour week. The discrepancy they discovered lay in the researcher's definition of work. One researcher counted his work only the time spent in the bush searching for and procuring food, not the labor needed to process food resources in camp. Add in the time it takes to manufacture and maintain tools, carry water, care for children, process nuts and game, gather firewood, clean habitations, and the Jutuansi work well over a 40-hour week. In addition, one of the Australian datasets was generated from a foraging experiment of only a few days' durations performed by nine adults with no dependents. There was little incentive for these adults to forage much, and apparently they were none too keen on participating. Then another quote from the same book. Others have found that the alleged egalitarian relations of hunter-gatherers are pervaded by inequality, if only between the young and the old, and between men and women. Food is not shared equally, and women may eat less meat than do men. Archaeologists find more and more evidence of non-egalitarian hunter-gatherers in a variety of different environments, most of whom lived under high population densities and stored food on a large scale. Put simply, we cannot equate foraging with egalitarianism. This is the end of the quote. 
I'm skeptical that anthropologists can get highly reliable reads on the degree to which foraging societies have high leisure or low inequality in a deep sense. I imagine that if an anthropologist from, let's say, another planet visited modern society, they might conclude that we have high leisure or low inequality based on things like, first, having a tough time disentangling work from leisure. For example, a lot of modern jobs are office jobs, and a lot of on-the-job hours are spent doing what might look like pleasant socializing. Similarly, foragers, quote, socializing may be internally conceiving this as necessary work rather than fun. It seems like it could be quite hard to draw this line. And second, being confused by social norms encouraging people to downplay real inequalities. For example, I've seen a fair number of references to the fact that people in foraging societies will sometimes mock a successful hunter to cut them down to size and enforce equality. But if this were strong evidence of low inequality, I think we'd have similar evidence from modern society, from things like humble bragging, the fact that many powerful wealthy people in modern times tend to dress simply and signal authenticity, etc. Even if I were convinced that pre-agriculture societies had large amounts of leisure and low amounts of inequality, this wouldn't move me toward believing they were an Eden, given above observations about violence, hunger, and health. It would be one thing if foragers were healthy, well-fed, well-resourced, and living in conditions of high leisure and low inequality. But high leisure and low inequality seem much less appealing in the context of what looks to me best described as poverty with respect to health and nutrition. Having vetted other Eden-like claims about pre-agriculture societies, I've developed a prior that these claims are likely to be both time-consuming to investigate and greatly exaggerated, and that's covered in previous sections. Now, with all that said, I do think there are signs that at least some foraging societies were noticeably more egalitarian than the societies that came after them, just not more so than today's developed world. Bottom line, I think hunter-gatherer slash forager societies look worse than today's on pretty much every dimension where it looks like we can make systematic, reliable observations. I've generally found claims that these societies were more paradise-like to be thinly, if at all, sourced.